Yes. Uh, one question from the viewers. He's okay. asking about a uh, one Shalagram Shila named Lakshmi Virahadev. So this Shila has two names combined together. So what about why there are two, these two names are combined and by what principle? What is the story about it? Um, well, I think he's referring to the Shalagram at Sri Jaitanya Saraswat Mat in Navadweep. And that, we can't say so much about that other than what we've heard from Srila Guru Maharaj that this is identified by those who have the capacity to make such uh, assessment. There are different ways to verify or identify. And so they uh, identified this as Varaha Dev. And Lakshmi is implied because we're talking about um, Vaikuntha. Vaikuntha is the domain of Lakshmi and Narayan. So or to be Vaikuntha proper, there's always implied or otherwise Lakshmi Devi, Shakti and Shaktiman. And in Bhagavad Gita, there's Bahunan Janmanamante, Gyanavan Mam Prapadyate, Vasudeva Sarvamiti, Samahatma Sudurlava. So here, some importance is being given to Vasudev, meaning the first discerning distinct discerning of the personality of Godhead. So we're moving from the material conception to the spiritual conception. The personal conception of divinity. But for it to begin in earnest, he has to be accompanied by his potency, his feminine counterpart. And, and in Vaikuntha, that means Lakshmi Devi. Vaikuntha is the unlimited world. There are innumerable spiritual planets. So Varaha Dev has some um, representation there. So when this uh, generally, uh, one should be very cautious about the worship of Shalagram Shila, because that is the Vaikuntha uh, style worship and very strict. Uh, we're worshiping Giriraj Govardhan under the guidance of Srila Guru Maharaj and Srila Saraswati Thakur, Raga Marg type worship, more uh, lenient, not uh, requiring the same strictness of the Shalagram. So that deity um, was in one mat, and as the story goes from Srila Guru Maharaj, some Dissension was there amongst the devotees. They're quarreling, and <laughs> so, so then some devotees are always wondering what would be the root cause of that. So they thought maybe we're not qualified to worship this deity. <laughs> hmm. And so then they took the deity to another place. Same thing happened. So then they think. They're, they're starting to become nervous and thinking, 
maybe we're too offensive, we're too fallen, we're not qualified. So then they thought, who is supremely qualified beyond the shadow of a doubt of anyone? Srila Sridhar Maharaj, let's take the deity and <laughs> give him, then we'll all get some relief. <laughs> so they brought the deity to Srila Guru Maharaj and his Abhattacharya Brahman. Right? We should remember his family name was Bhattacharya. He was born Ramendra Chandra Bhattacharya. Sanskrit-speaking family, high-class Brahmins. When he joined Gaudiya Math, Srila Saraswati Thakur invoked the Gita Sloka, Yadyada Charati Shrestha Tad Tad Evetarojana, that if a man of this quality joins our mission, it'll be good for the prestige of the mission, that kind of thing. So they thought, uh, Submitting the Srila Srilamars will be the safe path. So Srila Gurmars accepted and they identified a Varaha Dev. And as Lucky, Lakshmi, Varaha implied. Uh, and he took his seat on the altar at the Sri Chaitanya Saraswat Mat Navadeep. And his particular prasad or bhog offering they like to make is the param anna, sweet rice, at, on special occasions, but in general, every day, actually, for uh, his pleasure, that sort of offering was made. But this is an extraordinary case, uh, something exceptional, and Srila Gurumars is not uh, advising this type of worship to his followers. But it's interesting to note in the Mat Pranam, Srimat Chaitanya Saraswata Matabara Udgita Kirtir Jayasrim Bibrat Sambhati Ganga Tata Nikata Nabdvipa Koladri Raja. So in the um, Adriraj Gupta Govardhan, that section of Nabdvip we mentioned recently. The Aparad Banjanair Pot, where all the Aparadis offenders were forgiven their offenses. Koladweep proper, Navadweep proper in that area. Koler Ganj, Koler Danga, that's where the Mat is. And if you do the research, you'll find some ancient connection in that place to Varahadev. So, and there's some mystic uh, intimation there in the Mat Pranam Mantram. And uh, that's about as much as I can say about that now. Yeah. The last question is that we know that Kunti Dev is always praying for obstacles. And Not always. always. <laughs> <laughs> now she's always praying. <laughs> she wakes up, she's praying. Let this be the worst day of my life. <laughs> for, for us devotees, sometimes we are always praying that we can have some... Obstacle-free. Obstacle. No, no, uh, no, we're no. also praying. 
to have obstacles to check out. We are? Sometimes. sometimes. Oh, we, sometimes we are. Okay. Yes, to, to have these obstacles to test us if we have the sincere faith. So is it a normal desire or and is it possible? No, it's not normal. <laughs> How many students are praying to, for the examination? Well, Asians excluded. <laughs> that's the joke in America on Friday when all the kids are going home and uh, some a like Chinese girl, Asian kid will go to the teacher, you forgot to give us homework. <laughs> so they're a special group. <laughs> but... In other words, look who is Kunti. You know, Kunti Devi. She is so exalted. Uh, we learn, heard about her glories from Srila Prabhupada. And uh, when we're reading that part of the Bhagavatam, what we call it, Parayan, just like with Chaitanya Charitamrita, every day reading continuously. Then when you get the end, start over, read again. If you're lucky in your lifetime, you can do that many, many times. Just think, there are devotees. The, they may not be so known, but you see them in the various mats, and our mats in India, and, and others as well. The faithful devotees who assemble every day in the Natmandir and hear uh, Chaitanya Bhagwa, Chaitanya Charitamritam, Gita, Bhakti Vrasamrita Sindhu, Srimad Bhagavatam, day after day, year after year, their whole lives. And also the songs of Bhaktivinoda Thakur, the songs of Naratam. What a fortunate life. Also, that's being here. You don't always see me, but I'm always listening. I, how beautiful the kirtan sounded this evening. Really, very uh, sweet to once again hear these things, uh, what's expressed from the melted, affectionate heart of Bhaktivinoda Thakur. His songs are, uh, as, he, as it says in the song, such, so beautiful, the arati of Giriraj Govardhan and Goranga Mahaprabhu and the Gora Saraswat arati with Radha Govinda Sundar, the whole world will be charmed. So Kunti Devi, uh, you know, we know her as uh, mother of the Pandavas, which would be enough, right? And her glories as a young girl. Uh, and, but um, the prayers of Kunti in the Bhagavatam are so beautiful. And that's we heard them, Srila Prabhupada Swamiraj, giving classes on these every day. Namashe Purusham Twajam Ishwaram Alaksham Prakriteparam Alaksham Sarvabhutanam Antarbahiravastitam Krishnaya Vasudevaya Devaki Nandanaya Nandagopa Kumaraya Govindaya Namonoha Namak Pankaja Nabhaya, Namak Pankaja Malini, Namak Pankaja Netraya, Namaste Pankaja Jangrahe. You know, how beautiful that is. We're told she's uh, like auntie, she's in a superior position. 
Remember, Krishna's in his Aprakrita Leela. As the actors would say, he's in character. He's not going to break character. I'm divinity. Right? We could say maybe he does that in the 11th chapter of Bhagavad Gita with Arjun. Almost apologetically, like, sorry, Arjun. Uh, but here, he is younger than her. But she, Kunti knows very well who Krishna is. Very, very well. But she is such a great devotee. She doesn't want to embarrass him. That we should think about also. We're expressing different things. I want to embarrass Krishna or his great devotees. So we're told in the 11th canto, this method of subtly indicating something is the preferred method of divine revelation. Some, um, and we see that's how in the world there's you know, heart on the sleeve, uh, professing love and affection. And then there are more subtle ways of expressing deep matters of the heart that perhaps in the long run are more appreciated, more appreciable. Uh, anyway, that's, you know, a subject for discussion. Right? Sometimes East versus West. The West favoring like very overt, uh, extroverted, you know, uh, ex- uh, professing love and appreciation in the Eastern, uh, more reserved. Doesn't mean that there's less love there. There may be more. It's, as I said, something that could be discussed. So Kunti, really, she understands who Krishna is, but she understands the circumstances of these pastimes. And to not put Krishna in an awkward position and an embarrassed position, she's giving her uh, obeisances in this famous prayer. Namak Pankajanabhaya, Namak Pankajamalini, Namak Pankajanetraya, Namaste Pankajangraye. Really, we always begin at the lotus feet. As we told many times, offering the highest aspect of ourself to the least aspect of that plane. People always wonder, why so much bowing in Asia, in India, and why? Uh, because this is what's at the heart of the matter. Taking the head, it's generally taken to be in the highest aspect of the self, and offering it to the feet, the lowest aspect. It's actually a very beautiful, heartfelt gesture. So really, that's what she wants to do. But in this verse, she says that in the last line, Namaste Pankajangrahe, to your lotus feet. Why does she do that if she's so qualified? When that should be first, it's come last. Right? We're told, when the Raga, Bhakta, the devotees of the heart, when they give some expression, that's the new scripture. Right? Whatever it says in the books, what comes out of their hearts is higher than that. Right? It's the new religion. Right? The books have to be rewritten according to the hearts of the devotees. So she knows I am socially in a superior position to him. He is younger. And so what shall I do? She says, you know, Namak Pankaja Nabhaya. 
She says, I offer my respects to your lotus navel. She began there. Namak pankaja maline. And then you're wearing a garland of lotuses. I'm Namak pankaja netraya. So lotus navel. Lotus, you're wearing a garland of lotuses. I bow to that. And your eyes, you have beautiful lotus eyes. Namak Pankajanetraya, I'm giving my obeisances to your eyes. And at last, to your lotus feet. Right, she won't allow him to escape, but this one a beautiful way. She's appearing to deal with him as a subordinate or an inferior, but yet, at last, uh, to your lotus feet. That's where she wants to be considered in her ultimate position as an aspiring servitor of the lotus feet of Krishna. So the remembrance of those lotus feet. Uh, in the Bhagavatam, Abhishmiti Stacharanaravinde, very beautiful sloka. And perhaps in the 11th canto, Gormar speaks about it. <clears throat> and Kunti, this is the type of devotion she possesses. We know from the past times, Kunti Devi and the Pandavas, they undergo so much trial and tribulation. It's part of their pastimes. So much so that in the Brihad Bhagavatamritam, when Narada is praising uh, the Pandavas, uh, having gone from uh, Shiva to Prahlad uh, to uh, Hanuman to the Pandavas, Yudhisthira Maharaj is deflecting that praise and saying, I uh, am sad. It, it makes my heart sad to think that when people meditate on our, uh, hear about our pastimes with Krishna, they will think that being a devotee means a lifetime of trouble. So they'll be discouraged. So I have mixed feelings. You're giving so much praise about our dealings with Krishna, but I'm thinking if people hear these pastimes, they'll be discouraged from taking up a life of devotion. But Narada, that's the humble uh, expression of a devotee. But Narada, he says, no, I think what they'll take away from your pastimes with Krishna is that when a devotee is in great difficulty, at that time they can count on Krishna to help them, to save them. That's what we learn from your pastimes. No matter how difficult the circumstance may be, find yourself surrounded by karmic circumstance, inescapably so, the devotee can rest assured that Krishna will come to their rescue. That's what we learn. So that sort of thing, Kunti Devi, she is in the optimum uh, poise, uh, position to understand that principle. She's thinking, yes, when things seem to be going very nicely, materially, there's a tendency to become forgetful 
of our relationship with Krishna and the necessity of our relationship with Krishna. Jiva Goswami offers this in part of his analysis about the Kali Yuga, why even in the heavenly planets or the people of the Sati Yuga are uh, praying for a birth in the Kali Yuga. Because why? I think in the heavenly planets, Swarga Loka, it's easy to become distracted uh, from spiritual practices. In the Sati Yuga, more of a general spiritual, all pervasive spiritual atmosphere, no feeling of great necessity to dive deep in the deepest aspects of reality. Uh, more dealing with the general uh, spiritual conception. But in the Kali Yuga, which is the worst of times, a special opportunity comes, right? Here, uh, Krishna Varnam Tusha Krishnam Sango Pangashta Parshadam Yagye Sankirtana Pray Yajanti Hisumedasan. What is that? The verse ends in Kalot Hari Kirtana Kriteya Jayatom Vishnum Dwarpre Paricharjayam Tretayam Yajatomake Dwarpre Paricharjayam Kalotad Hari. Hari Kirtana. So, hmm? Anyway, so many slokas saying what a glorious, although it, materially speaking, it appears to be the worst of times, spiritually speaking, it's the best. It's the best opportunity. Like, uh, that it's raining today and reminds of the uh, reminds of the time when Srila Gurudev is going to the Vyas Puja celebration of Bhakti Saranga Goswami Maharaj and it's like starting to rain on the way there and he says to Goswami Maharaj's disciples like do you know what he's going to speak about today? They go, how can we know what he will say? You know, we don't understand the mind of our Guru. But Guru says, well, I know. And they're saying, what audacity you have to think that we're his disciples and we don't know, but you know. Like, <laughs> said, yes, I know what you'll <laughs> And he, does anyone know that sloka? Yad, what? Durdinam manye. It says, Generally, people judge the quality of the day, what's a good day or a bad day. They say, oh, you know, the sun is shining, they're beautiful, those, what are they, cloud nine, cloud seven clouds in the sky, sun is shining, it's a beautiful day. Or if it's raining, that's supposed to be not such a nice day, it's a miserable day. Right? So that's generally the way they judge. What is a good day, what is a bad day? said, but for a devotee, they're saying, did I hear any harikata, the topics of Krishna, during this day? If I did, that was a good day. If my day was devoid of the topics of the Lord and his devotees, then that's a bad day. 
that, you know, that uh, was lamentable, a time wasted. We're told, Dharma Swanusita Kung Sang Vishvak Sena Katasu Yaha Not Pariyed Yadi Ritim Shrama Eva Hikevalam. If whatever it is you're doing, we say, well, I do this. Here, this verse says, whatever it is you're doing, if the end result is not increased uh, yearning to hear about Krishna, the Lord, and his devotees, Guru, Garanga, Radha, Govinda, etc. Then you're, what does it say? Shrama Eva Hikevalam. Prabhupada's preferred way of translating that was a useless waste of time. You're wasting your time. Right? What is that song? Ahur, Ayur, Harati Bai Pung Song. And the second canto, Sukadev, saying the same thing. Sun rising, setting, and Gurudev liked the one from Shankara Charja. Haritran Prabhu, before he passed away, he asked me, Why did you put this one on Samadhi uh, of Gurudev? Because, you know, there's so many selected there, and Tyagimars did a wonderful job, and we got to suggest certain things. But this one, because <laughs> Haritran Prabhu would always find like some point of contention. He said, But this is Shankara Charja. Why? And I'm saying, no, that's why. Because he's Shankaracharya. He's the, you know, Adi Guru of South India, the Shankaracharya. You can't ignore him. And he, this is his sloke, and it was very favorite to Gurudev, the Dina Jamino one. It's similar to the Bhagavatam one, saying, every day the sun is rising and setting, where it's reminding us the time, the sounds of time are running out, we're wasting our time. If we're not engaged in Hari Kirtan, you know, the save of, of Guru Gauranga and Vaishnava. So anyway, these kind, this type of analysis we see is there from the higher devotees. They're looking for that um, um, critical point that will be yield the the have the greatest devotional yield. So Kunti is thinking, but, and, and, and with Atmasamiksha, we all think about our lives. She's thinking about her life. It's only natural. We sit and reflect about what we've done. You know, there are things we regret that we've done, things we lament about. The Brahma Bhuta Prasanat Nasochati Nakangshati, not to be lamenting about lost opportunities or hankering for things that are, um, actually Guru says, lolyam means, uh, in one sense, um, easy, mundane things. But she's, as, as all sincere devotees, aspiring servitors shall do, she's engaged in a certain amount of self-reflection. So she's thinking, in our lives, when everything was going fine, fine, there was a tendency to be forgetful of Krishna, not feel such a great necessity. But when we found ourselves in uh, um, word, uh, you use the word obstacles, obstacles, and also very um, adverse circumstances. The, mo- the greatest adversity 
at that time, the necessity of remembering Krishna and calling upon him for some grace came to, from the core of our hearts to the surface and we became fully absorbed in srotavyas, kirtitavyasta, smartavyas, chetstathavayam. Hearing about Krishna, remembering him, singing his glories. So then she's making, thinking like this, she's making a, um, drawing a conclusion from what she's observed and saying. So, vipadak shantutakshashva tatra tatra jagadguru bhavato darshanam yatsyad apunar bhavadarshanam that then I think I do better under adverse circumstances. Adverse circumstances are good for me because they bring about remembrance of Krishna. And when I remember him, then the suffering aspect is finished with. Bhavato darshanam yatsad apunar bhava darshanam. We're talking about bhava, bhava rogue, the uh, material misery. And this becomes a fine point because as I've mentioned, all suffering is on account of forgetfulness of our relationship with Krishna. The cure is remembrance of the same. Right? So this becomes it's more easily understandable from our present position. Bayam dutiya binibeshi tatshad, ishada peitasya, viparyayo smriti. That's why we're overwhelmed by fear and anxiety because we feel alone in the world. Even if we uh, are surrounded by many people, we feel alone and fearful, full of anxiety. Uh, uh, <clears throat> surrounded by, you know, janma mrityu jaravyadi and the anityam asukam lokam, temporary, miserable existence. So that uh, loneliness is only really addressed by remembrance of the Lord and his devotees. So Kunti, being very advanced, they said, uh, he's praying for adverse circumstances and examination. The, it is a misunderstanding to think that if you're in school and the teacher, they have a flash quiz. Also, they, they close the books and then they, you know, surprise all the students with a quiz. Or there's just the examination from time to time, and the final examination, those kind of things. In the Bhagavatam, we have the proper angle of vision for a devotee, tattenu kampam susamikshamano, to think, prasada leshanu grihitevahi, they're thinking, atapite deva padambu jadraya, prasada leshanu grihitevahi, that being examined by Krishna is, is mercy. They're not resentful of that. The students who 
think their teacher is uh, cruel or mean by examining them or testing them, they don't understand. Actually, in this context, the teacher is an affectionate well-wisher. The teacher's uh, concern is to promote the students, to familiarize them with the subject matter and promote them to the next level. They're not trying to fail anyone. Right? We're saying at least theoretically. I know so. No, no, I had one. They're very... You know, not like that. This, I'm giving an example of an, an affectionate, well-wishing teacher. Still, they're examining the students to promote them. That's why. So in a similar way, we're uh, examined by the circumstance, it's karmic circumstance, the life we experience. It's not meant to make us fail, but rather to promote us to the next level, to not make us abandon Krishna consciousness or the Lord's protection, but rather to push us in that direction. And there, and perhaps we come to the other question, um, Radha Raman Prabhu mentioning from Audio Veda regarding home. What is the real conception of home? And back to home. We hear uh, Saraswati Thakur use the expression back to home, back to Godhead. Srila Swami Maharaj had a magazine called Back to Godhead. Regularly, Srila Sridhar Maharaj speaks on this subject. Sometimes invoking the Upanishads, Srinvantu Mrishe Amritasya Putra. Right, saying Amritasya Putra, Putra means children. Right? So it is an appeal, an Upanishadic appeal, saying, Oh, Amritasya Putra, nectar children. What does that mean? Children of the nectar world. Well, the world we're living in. Is called Martyaloka. Mrityu. Martya means the world of mortality. Right? Sometimes we have the expression in the Bhagavatam, Jivo Jivasya Jivanam, one living entity lives at the expense of another. I remember the Hieronymus Bosch, or whoever made a picture, big fish eat little fish. Right? Actually, it may have been another artist, but that's. Big fish eat little fish. Darwinian evolution. I just heard recently and they said, the Andromeda galaxy will devour the Milky Way. <laughs> like this is going on on many levels. They're saying, I mean, not next week, so, you know. <laughs> but after so many years will go by, they're saying, here's Andromeda, here's the Milky Way. Andromeda will gobble up the men and then... So big fish eat little fish. So in the Martyaloka, the world of mortality, we're trying to establish a home here in a place that even by scientific uh, estimation uh, won't be here. It's not just a, a theistic assertion, but they say the world, it will... Uh, its lifespan. They differ on the exact date, but I mean, time. 
some say, you know, 10 to the 12th power, 10 to the 15th power, 10 to the... There, but, but what they're in consensus about is it's limited. It has an expiration date. It's mentioned in the Gita, Bhutva, Bhutva, Praliyate. It manifests and remains for some time and then it's wound up and vanishes for some time and then appears. And that's what we see going on uh, in this world. Like if you see this field outside where we live, it, if in a year cycle, now it's lush, it's full of all this greenery and they grew so many crops and things there. Now when this rainy season stops, it'll become very dry. The farmers will go in, they'll burn everything and, and it'll look horrible for a while and everyone will be coughing on the smoke and, uh, and then the man will come with a, well, I don't know what you call the the hoe, the machine that will plow the fields, a plow, right? Plow all the fields, they'll plant many things, then they'll do it all over again, right? So in a world that is like that, appearing for some time and then vanishing, appearing and vanishing, where what, what shall be our home proper? If uh, Guru Maharaj, in one place, he gave one lecture that began with him saying, sun rays are hitting the earth, right? And they're entering the earth. He says, but what is their home? It's actually the sun. The home of the sun rays is the sun. But they're hitting the earth and we can observe something about that for some time. So here in this example, Krishna's the conscious sun. Mame Vangsa Jiva Loke Jiva Bhuta Sanatana. We're his rays. Kiran, like, uh, just like sun rays. Magnitudinally, magnitudinally different. The infinite and the finite. But spiritually conscious rays, sun rays. Uh, Amrita Putras, children of the immortal world, are temporarily identifying themselves as being members of the realm of time and space, of the temporary material world. Gurumars reminds us, time and space, he says, it's a particular type of thinking. That's an understatement. <laughs> it's a particular type of thinking, time and space. Yes, and we're riveted to this type of thinking, addicted to it. So, buried under layers of matter, bhumirapo analo vayu kamano buddhirevacha, ahankara itiyame bina prakritirastadha, buried beneath, you know, earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, and ego is the soul. This rainy season reminds us of the Bhagavatam example, is it? Na rarajo. Dupaschana, Swa, Jotsna. I forget the Sanskrit now, but just as there's a cloud comes in front of the moon in the rainy season, so you see the cloud and it has a nice illumination around it. Maybe it looks very beautiful, but actually the cloud is not providing the illumination. It's the moon behind the cloud that is illuminating that cloud. So in this case, the cloud is 
the subtle body of mind, intellect, and ego that's housed in the gross body. So where that soul, where is its home? Where is it home, uh, situated, located? In the conscious world. But it's trying to establish a home in the objective world. Not in the super subjective world of the spiritual reality, but here in this world. So it's a doomed um, activity from the beginning through misidentification. So you only get a mirage of home, a mirage of uh, family, affection, and interaction. The 10th canto of the Bhagavatam, verse Prabhupada liked very much, says, maybe it's in the prayers of the demigods, yasyatma buddhi kunapedrida duke svadid kalatra dishuboma ijadi Yatirta buddhi shalile nakarhichid janeshu abhigeshu saeva gokara. Talks about how we identify the self. Right? Nationality. Right? We see now in the world situation in so many different places. It may be very prominent now, but it comes cyclically. National identity. Then the conflict of different perceived national identities. Right? The inevitable conflict of uh, uh, perceived national identity as a means of self-determination. Right? All based on a bodily conception. Family life based on a bodily conception. So in that world where the body is, is mortal, the very world in which the body appears is mortal, where, where, where shall we establish our home? Our homeland? Uh, pick a particular land and build a house there and call it a home? Right? And my history teacher used to tell us, she would say, you can sum up the whole of history, and she's talking about uh, the way Western history is taught. She said, you can sum up the whole thing in one word, booty. And what that means is the spoils of, that go to the victors. There's some group of people, they live in a particular land, they have a particular national identity. And another group comes in and says, you know, your days are over, now we're in charge. They take their women, their uh, land, change their name, take their, your language is now illegal, now you will speak our language. I mean, there, it's not... Uh, any group of people, this is just, this is history, right? Then you, if you live that way for some time, long enough, then you'll be, at, that will be, this is the way we do things, <laughs> you know. This is home for us, right? Well, I'm sorry to inform you, it's not your home anymore. We own it now, and we own your women, you know. All, all, all your women are ours, your land is ours, your language is illegal, now you have to live this way lived this way for 50, 60, 70 years. Now we're very much at home with this until another group comes in. Right? So she said that. One word, booty. It boils down to one word. I joke with one of our devotees, uh, Madhur Priya. She's from Greece and 
you know, her from she was she did some work for the studio, right? But because she's from Greece, I would joke and say sometimes, and in introducing her, I'd say, you know, her ancestors fought in the Peloponnesian War, right? I can see <laughs> that no one's laughing proves my point. I, when you study history, and believe me, I was not good at this, but you start about the Hittite Empire, the Peloponnesian War that took place around 2,000 years ago. And it was very meaningful at the time, believe me. <laughs> you know, or believe the historian. They'll make you study this, memorize the dates, and that'll be on your examination on the final day, you know, about the Hittite Empire and the Peloponnese. And so she laughed. And then after she went home to Greece and came back when she said, you know, I found out my ancestors did fight in the Peloponnesian War. <laughs> so there's always some war sometime. You know, I would be shocked when I started touring and preaching in Russia that Every May, like the celebration of Great Patriotic War would come. And I would find out that the younger generation, say like now the teenagers, Russian teenagers now, they know very little about these things. And it's not relevant to them. They're thinking what's on V contact or, you know, on their smartphone or something. And so it's like shocking to me even to see that, because I grew up at another time when this was like a big deal. Uh, obviously, if you're born in the 50s, you grew up hearing about these things. It was like a deep impression was made uh, upon you. Told, here's 100 years. This, it's uh, 2014. World War I was uh, 1914. So it was the 100th anniversary of World War I. What is another name for World War I? Surprisingly, uh, the war to end all wars. Right? That's what, after that they thought, this was so devastating, this was so horrible, certainly we won't have another one. I mean, now it sounds laughable. World War I was called the war to end all wars. And as I'm speaking, there are wars going on all over the world, of people fighting over, like, is this your home or my home? Is this your homeland or my homeland? And if you don't accept my concept of that, I'm going to blow your brains out. Basically. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> I mean, with affection. <laughs> so, you know, it's, I hate to... Uh, dwell on something so inauspicious, but, and as I say, these things are cyclical. And right now, maybe it's a particularly, appears to be a darker time than other times because of just the amount, the sheer amount of, of global conflict. But in one sense, it's also inevitable for this plane. Right? So, oh, and here, this land we have, you know, we... <laughs> that is owned by the Full Dome Pro Company. <laughs> uh, in Thailand, they have all these levels of stuff, one called Chinote. So they say, you have to really be sure the land that you're getting, that, you know, to, that it's yours. 
Otherwise, after some time, someone else comes and goes, this is my home. <laughs> some little Thai guy builds a hut on your property. <laughs> so I remember Prabhupada told this story of the sage who is sitting on the bank of the Ganga. We're told, uh, you know, he's there and he doesn't have a hut or anything. He's just on the banks of the Ganga. And every time Brahma dies, one hair will fall out of his head. When all the hairs fall out of his head, then he'll die. So when people said, but Prabhupada, Brahma's, you know, he said, it's just a story. <laughs> but I mean, that's it. So Brahma lives for roughly 311 trillion years and change. Right? So when he dies, one hair falls out of his head. When all, okay, then he'll. So someone noticed, but he's not making a hut. Right? They said, don't you think you should like make a hut or a little house? for?" He goes, oh, I don't expect to be here that long. <laughs> That's what Guru Maharaj means when he says time and space is a type of thought. He can, Guru Maharaj can say that. He has the audacity to say that. This whole world that's overwhelming to us, as you say, to the point of like being, we, we want to go to our home, it's inescapable. How, how, we're like those lost children. How can Amrita, Srinvantu Vishay, Amritasya Putra, children of the nectar world, please listen to me. That's what it's saying. Through sound, by honing in, on the divine sound, you can start moving in the direction of your home, which the good news is, we're, we're so addicted to thinking of things in terms of time and space that we think it's very far away. Right? Like, tad ture, tarantike, tarantarasya sarvasya, taru sarvasya bahyataha. When Guru Maharaj's relative said to him, you know, there are some stars, maybe their light has not reached the earth yet. They're that far away. If, and do you think God has any time for people like us? We're so insignificant. And Guru Maharaj responded by saying, yeah, Tadure, he's very far away, but Tadantike, he's very near as well. Is there anywhere where God is not? So the bad news is, we're addicted to thinking of things in terms of time and space. Right? We think this is all there is. We do. Even though we heard so many things, still we're thinking, you know, well, this, you can stand on it, you can build stuff on it, you can get a chinote. <laughs> when the Krishna Priya and Paramananda bought some property, and, they're, and we're talking about a Thai like farmer, you know, villager type person. So he goes down to the land office with them and then they, they pull out, you know, like a check for the amount. And he goes, what is that? And they go, this is the money. He said, that is not money. <laughs> he, th he wanted to see like a suitcase of Thai bot. He said, no, what is, he'd never seen anything like it. They, get, they hand him a piece, he has land with 
trees and ponds and mango trees, banana trees, and you know, like, uh, you know, lilavity flowers, and, and, they, and they go, here's a piece of paper. <laughs> he said, no. He wouldn't accept it. So they had to go get the police chief. And when they got the police chief, who's a very cool guy, the police chief said to him, and Ty said, look, Baba. <laughs> he said, just trust me, it's money. And he said, and he said, and if you don't accept it, I'm going to arrest you and throw you in jail. <laughs> Only then did the man like accept it, and they went to a bank, and he, you know, like, so a very sweet person, I think. But the point is, his, where is the value? Guru Mars will say, yeah, it's not in the paper. He's right. That paper has no value, but it's in the goodwill that's behind the paper. That's where it lies. So it has that value. It's meaningful in another plane. So we have to invert our thinking here because we're running out of time. Also, even if you get a nice little setup with Chinote, <laughs> you will be ousted. That's what is in that sloka of Shankaracharya. That's why we put it, what's in the Bhagavatam. Even if, th- in Kundi, even if things are going well, they're not going to end well. <laughs> because, you know, janma mrityu jara vyadi mrityu sarvaharas chaham. If it doesn't happen any other way, it happens in the form of death. And suddenly, it's all, like, uh, it it all comes into perspective. How uh, meaningless, or how meaningless in the sense of it cannot help us. So Guru Maharaj say, people say, what is the value of philosophy? Since in the 1960s, many people were studying so-called liberal arts and philosophy and things like that. Maybe they didn't want to go to war. Or maybe the war made them think more about their mortality. But they were studying like that. But in time, people were yeah, what can you do? It's a degree in philosophy, except be a teacher. Teach other people the same thing. But Guru Maharaj will say, when it comes to dealing with death, then you'll understand the value of philosophy. So it's on this point. Now philosophy starts making sense to us. Remember, after all the things Sukadev spoke to Parikat Maharaj in the Bhagavatam, 10th canto, Krishna Lila, 11th canto, 12th canto, Kali Yuga, all these things. I like that verse. Gurudev liked to quote and Guru it's almost like a, what's the word? Uh, not chastisement, there's another word. It means similar, like a reminder. He's saying, but my dear king, remember, this is the world of mortality. And he says, Pashu budhim imamjahi, and to think you're part of this, that's pashu budhi, means animal intelligence. Animals think like that. 
right? So it seems almost brutal or uh, a little rough and crude, but it's, it's maybe at that point, I mean, it's a play also, because now he's given all these beautiful spiritual instructions, and now what, what are we going to hear? Parikit Maharaj, like he's going to turn off his senses, the bodily sense, the sight, hearing, like the way we turn off the light, sound, power, water, etc. He's going to disconnect from that. So sooner or later, we have to disconnect from this plane. I like the word in English, I think it's Greek and its roots, nostalgia. Is it Greek or Latin? Do you know, Dina Shai? Nostalgia. Nos- anyway, it's Greek or Latin. Nosta means home, huh? No, it's not French. <laughs> Algia, like neuralgia means a headache. Neuroalgia, pain in the brain. Greek. Noso, nosos. What's the uh, um, Russian word for home? Dome. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway, here it's nosos, algia, the pain of wanting to return to your home. So it's a very peculiar thing because we say jiva, tasata shakti on the margin. We're yearning for the home that uh, our origin, but uh, have we really penetrated deep into that domain. We're told in the Gita, once you reach that plane, you'll never leave that. That's the good news. Right? But there's a, a hankering within our hearts to be in that plane where, unlike this world where you know, the soil may be your enemy, the water may be your enemy, the air may pollute you, you have to watch your back at every moment, where the soil has your interest at heart. That's what it means by home. Only the world where the soil has your self-interest at heart more than you do could not really be your home, where everything is your friend. One is, instead of jivo, jiva, shijivanam, one exploiting another, everyone is serving each other. So, oh, this is what I wanted to say. So by moving in the direction of this plane, which is a plane of consciousness, that means here you can feel it. You can come in connection with that world. Rupa Goswami said, Iha yasya harer dasye karmana manasagira nikalasrupi avastashu jivan mukta sauchite. It's possible even in this lifetime. How? Karmana manasagira. By what you do, by what you think, by what you talk about, then we can transcend the world of time and space and come in connection with the immortal world. So, Kunti, to connect it to she'll say, then when things go wrong here, that's good. That'll make you uh, a you'll realize 
what to speak of helping others, I can't even help myself. It takes courage to embrace that position. That's not being a weak-minded, you know, uh, wimp, right? It takes courage to admit truthfully, I can, what to speak of help others, I cannot really truly help myself. I need grace, divine grace. It's good to be in a position of that type of want and necessity. Then you're uh, a good receiver for divine grace from some help from the upper world. Sun rays are touching the earth. Its home is in the sun. So we're here in this plane, but really we're members of the spiritually conscious world and more specifically the Krishna conscious world. And Guru Maharaj would sit and tapping his chair in the afternoon, smiling, saying, I'm just counting the days. <laughs> like he was happy <laughs> to go there. And those who bring us this news are our real friends. Guru Maharaj gave that example. Maybe Prabhupada did too. Everybody does. Maybe it came from Saraswati Thakur, of the child of the wealthy father who's become mad and he's living in the street, eating garbage, you know, just mad. And then someone sees him and recognizes him and says, don't you know you're the son of so-and-so? Tells him about their actual identity. Right? That puts an end, by bringing that news to them, puts an end to that condition. We're in a similar position. Uh, so by reflection, we have to think about all these things carefully. What is our actual identity? I've told our reality potential as servitors and try incrementally to move in that direction. Krishna will not abandon his own. Konteya priti janihi name bhakta pranashati and that Ramayan slok. Once he accepts someone. So all we need is to be sincere in our, our necessity. Then we'll feel some connection, even in this plane, with our home, our actual home, spiritually conscious home. And really, Goloka Vrindavan Krishna conception is the ultimate family life, home life, everything. <laughs> when we, with Sri Shrava Prabhu, Vaishnava Maharaj, we spent some time in Bombay. <laughs> I'm just thinking of it. But there was, and there was, Prabhupada was there over some time, and some of the, there's so many life members, and there was this one really old man, and he kind of like come to live in the ashram and just leave the world. You know, that was his idea. I like 
Now I just want to be with the devotees, live in the ashram and go. And he, it was, I mean, we were all like in our 20s. I was like 24 years old. And he liked being with the brahmacharis and, you know, it was really fun for him. And, but, he, but he also wanted to encourage us, because right? we're trying to be brahmacharis and everything, that maybe we'll, won't be enamored by household life. So every now and then he'd like share some of his personal history with us to give us some backing. And, you know. so, and he was very intense. You know. And he said... And he told us what he said about his wife and family. He said, my wife and family were like mosquitoes biting me in the night. <laughs> we're like, oh, wow. You know. <laughs> I thought, that was his home, his family. <laughs> he was, he was, you know, and giving us some encouragement. <laughs> but the way he said it was such earnestness. <laughs> and then I was at the Calcutta airport once. A flight was delayed. Like an hour flight was delayed for 12 hours. And uh, as you can see, I'm still upset. <laughs> Anyway, this man, you know, there's always some men, they, they see you, you know, oh, Swami, you know, and they want to, like, you know, stay with you sometime, share some things. And this man, he was, he was saying, like, Swamiji, if I win the lottery, then I will take all the money and give it to my wife. And there's some people, they're going like, what a nice man, you know, how sweet is that? He said, and, and with folded palms, tell her, please, release me, release me. <laughs> so he was trying to give us some encouragement. <laughs> Krishna has blessed us in different ways. <laughs> that type of, like, honesty amongst, and, the, I'm, and I'm saying, these are people who spent, just to give it some context, spent their whole lives being dutiful. These are not, like, people like us. <laughs> I mean, they're, did everything dharmically, what was expected of them. Men, women, and not implying anything other than what was there. Just they, that's something that's hard for us to understand sometimes in the West, how dutiful the people of India are, like the real grihastas there, act in terms of their, like, family obligate, what was expected of them. They're just w truly worshipable people. Forget all, all this stuff we see and that's in the modern media and all that. We've 
had so many experiences and interactions with our friends, worshipable friends in India too, that were truly impressed with it. And that, though, that group of people, they will sit at the feet of some devotee from the West, whether it's like myself or anybody, and li- very humbly listen. And you could say, you know, as devotees say, blasting them. And they sit there humbly. Our friend in um, San Jose, who's literally a NASA rocket scientist, Mr. Banerjee. He and his wife, Arun and Alpa Banerjee, they're like some of the first Bengali devotees to come to the center there. He's a rocket scientist, and respected all of America, all over the world. We'll sit you know, on the floor while uh, one of our devotees is on the asana, you know, giving a talk about Krishna consciousness. No ego. They're eager to hear something thinking to themselves, oh, I'm just a fallen householder. What do I know? Man who's super qualified, super educated. He's saying, what do I know of these things? That sort of humility. After a lifetime of devotion and acting responsibly, dharmically, whenever to sit at the feet of Guru and Vaishnav and to hear submissively and accept their instructions, their direction, which way to go, to proceed. So our faith is in our Guru Varga. If it, if it contradicts what we see before our eyes, it must. Um, seeing a snake as a rope, a rope as a snake. It's interesting. That's also in the Bhagavatam, in the Brahma Stuti. And as long as you're seeing a rope as a snake, you're, you're filled with the fear of being bitten, poisoned. You know, you're in an abnormal state. That's what we're doing. That's why the I mean, it's given in different ways. Sometimes as a the example of you know having faith, but here in the Brahma Stuti, it's given an interesting way. As long as you're mistaking a rope as a snake, you're going to be full of fear, and that's what we're doing. We're mistaking this world as our home, and we're full of fear and anxiety, and no amount of money or false sense of security is going to remedy the situation. The sooner we see it for what it is, then we can deal with it in a substantial way and also overcome the fear. And I think that's what Sukadeva is telling Parikat Maharaj. And all these great slokas, what they're telling us. Because we have to be honest. We are fearful because we're seeing a rope as a snake. We're misidentifying. But if we can change our perspective by the grace of Guru and Vaishnav, Sadhu Shastra, then not only can we start seeing things clearly and how to proceed uh, in the right direction, but that fear 
will vanish. Like we sing in the song, Abhaya Charanaravindare, Bajahune, Manasi Nandanandana. Hare Krishna. Hari Harai Namo Krishna Yadavaya Namo.